Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm super excited for another wonderful guest. We are going to be speaking today to Rachel Duckenmiller, who's a keynote speaker, facilitator, and leadership trainer at Unmuted. Living an unmuted life is about uncovering your blind spots, illuminating your strengths, asking for what you need and want at work and at home, expressing yourself creatively, creatively giving yourself permission to feel advocating for yourself and others, doing more of what brings you joy and expressing gratitude. Living unmuted is also about listening to your body and what it needs so you don't end up sick and burned out. So everybody who's listened to this show knows that everything that Rachel is talking about in her bio here around unmuted is my language that I talk about all the time. So super excited to dig into this conversation. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. So Rachel, as a starting point, the audience always wants to have a chance to get to know you a little bit better in your story and what got you to this work that you're doing in the world. So you can start as as early as Rachel, the two-year-old or whatever makes most sense in terms of those poignant points on your journey that got to, got you to where you are today. Yeah, so um, I'm uh, one of three, was uh, born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland by parents who were teachers formerly, and then uh, both are business owners. So I grew up in a home where I, I just saw people doing what they enjoyed, and I, I saw them having self-directed autonomous lives, and I just thought that was normal, which I've you know, come to realize that's like not normal. Most people see their one, at least one of their parents sort of like slog through work and um, you know be de- feel defeated by their boss or feel this lack of not being able to control what they're, what they're working on or what they're doing or, or, um, you know, what they're spending their time on. And I just, I just didn't see that, you know? And so I think the way that I was brought up really influenced how I approach work and what I realized was going to be possible with work. So, you know, having said that I was very shy, you know, growing up, I was, I was, I was very shy. I was, I was guarded. Um, and, uh, I loved singing. I loved writing, but I didn't really love sharing them with people because it felt really vulnerable. Um, and my parents were going through some tough stuff in their marriage when I was about five years old, my brother was four and, you know, kids internalize, uh, dysfunction differently. And I internalized it by like, well, I'll just be the good kid and I'll get all the, you know, good grades and I'll, and I'll not ruffle any feathers and I'll do what's expected of me and I'll have good friends and I'll follow the rules. And I did all that. Um, and I kind of flew under the radar, you know, and I, people didn't really worry about me. It wasn't a kid that you worried about, you know, there's always kids like that, that they were like, oh, I don't worry about them. They're fine. But behind the scenes, you know, I was, I was sick quite a bit as a kid, um, kind of always had something I feel like wrong with my health and my physical health and um, didn't really feel like I fit in with my, you know, with my peers growing up. And, you know, so fast forward to adulthood, taking all that with me, um, I, I was in a job where I had been since an internship in college. 
And there were just things that, you know, I felt like there was more possible for me and what I was doing. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I always had this sense of like, I was, I was the wellness director of a benefits consulting firm, director of well-being, made up my job. And just like my parents made up their jobs. I made up my job um, in uh, 2007. And there was always part of me that just didn't like the way that things in the industry were done of being very punitive of, you know, everyone has to know their blood pressure and submit their numbers. And if they don't submit their numbers, they don't get these little trinkets and tokens and incentives and prizes. And I was like, why are we, there's so much more that contributes to why people are well, <laughs> like, why are we focusing our energy on this? And so, um, you know, I was able to kind of have a different voice in the industry and get recognized for that in, um, 2015 as the number one health promotion professional in the United States. Um, by an organization called the Wellness Council of America. And then two years later, all the pressure that I'd heaped up myself my whole life, including from that award, caused me to burn out. And I think we have these experiences in our lives where there are these catalytic moments and we, we can choose to just keep going down the path we were on or we can choose to recalibrate. And there was something that was so disruptive about that experience of burning out, getting mono, that I just made a decision of like, I have to change some things in my life. And I started going to therapy and I started showing up for my friends differently and more intentionally. And I started to think about what I want my future to look like. And two years later, I was launching my own business and doing what I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it, following my parents' footsteps. Um, so yeah, I don't know, that's, that's a bit of my story. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's uh, I see a lot of those patterns in the the kind of those type A personalities or the ambitious ones that back in the day, where was some of that behavior being driven around being someone that they got recognized in that way and didn't have to be causing the trouble because sometimes there's other issues and they recognize that you are very aware as that child, what can I do and the coping strategies, which, hey, you are really smart kid to come up with those coping strategies. They served you well. And then now later on as adults, there's ways that can be getting in our way. And so something that shows up for me, even as you're talking about that one is I think a lot of high performers can be coming from that ambition and the drive that can serve them well. And they're doing stuff that they're passionate about. But as you're sharing with your story, it starts to go past this line where it starts to result in some of this burnout and also recognizing that this more, 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 there's never going to be enough, right? If that's what's driving the behavior. And I'm sure as you went on your journey of, of self-awareness and understood what some of that behavior was, you made some changes. What do you think are some of those ways? And part of your catalyst was getting mono, but for people who might not have something that's creating that poignant moment for them to help them recognize how much the burnout is going to perhaps in the future result in them having a lot of regrets around where they're spending their time and energy. How can they start to think about this differently? You know, I mean, I think a lot of it, when we're in these moments, we don't, we just, we're, we're blind to our own dysfunction. You know, we don't realize we justify We're like, well, you don't understand if I don't do this, you know, then it doesn't get done or um, nobody else can do it quite the way that I can do it. Or just one more, like, oh, let me just get through this. Let me just get through this. And then I'll take a break and then I'll take a vacation. And that, so part of it is like, if you're hearing yourself say those, sta those statements, <laughs> um, here's your sign, you know, like you may be burned out if, or on the verge or brink of it. So I think a lot of it is just, you know, is, is having an honest conversation with, 
um, the people in your life that you care about the most, um, who are like often, if not always, the most affected by us, like when we drive ourselves into the ground, the people that we care about the most are often neglected. So for instance, I think about my husband who was so great. He's an elementary school teacher and he was just really present for me the whole time I was going through this experience. But at the same time, you know, I missed our Valentine's dinner because I was at the doctor's office and we didn't make that up for four months. And I sat across from him. And for the first time I asked him like, how are you doing? Which is some, a question we don't ask the people that we love and genuinely care to hear the answer when we're so focused on our own stuff all the time. Yeah. So really just take a moment to pause and ask people that you love and care about, like, how are you, how are you doing? And not have some agenda, not be looking at your phone, not be watching TV, not be working on your computer, be fully present for that question. And he is not, he's a man of not, you know, many words, but he said to me, he's like, it's been hard. And I just was present and we both, you know, cried and it was sometimes like we have to be willing to hear the hard things from the people that we love. And so a couple things are like asking that question to people that you really love and care about, like, like, how, how are you experiencing the way I'm showing up right now? Or how are you experiencing the way I'm showing up lately? And saying like, hey, I know I don't often ask this question. I know you might be afraid to tell me what you really think or feel because of how I've handled it in the past. I'm really trying to do better. So you, if, you ask, if you ask a question like that, you have to be prepared to not be defensive. Right. Like, which is really hard because when you're burned out, you're irritable and you're negative and you're cynical. It's like part of what burnout is. And so to be mindful of asking that question when you're in like your best state of mind. Like not at 930 at night before you go to bed. <laughs> like carve out a time when you're going to do something like that. And then the other question I think is really helpful to ask is when's the last time you did something that genuinely brought you joy? Because when we're burned out, we're disconnected from what brings us joy. We're disconnected from the things that bring us life. Um, from the people, from the experiences. Um, and this came up for me when I was visiting a friend in Omaha. She picked me up from the airport and we got in the car. The first thing I started out talking to her about, this was five years ago, was like, how do I get a mentor? Like, I really found somebody to be a mentor. Blah, 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 blah. And I, I didn't even ask her, like, how's your day going? Or like, how's it been? You know, I just go right into business mode. And with just like, just truth and candor, she said to me, you're always on, aren't you? And I was like, ah, like some part of that, like really hurt, like really cut because it was, it was true. So maybe if, as you're listening to this, think about yourself, would there be someone in your life who would say you're always on, aren't you? And like, what would it look like for you to give yourself? What does an hour version of you being off look like? What does a two hour version look like? What does a five minute version look like? What does a half day version look like? What would you do with that time to connect? and to re-energize yourself or to rest, you know? So I think a lot of it requires some honest and often painful reflection and introspection and conversation. Yeah, I think that's so important what you said. It's slowing down to have the real deeper conversations and, and hear. And, and I think that it's really poignant to what you said around being in the right frame of mind to be able to receive 
And you don't even have to receive in that moment. You can just hear it and say, thank you for sharing. I'm going to take some time to process what you said, right? Nobody says you have to process it in that moment. And I think there's such a, I'd like to bridge what you, where you just went there in terms of, it feels like with what you were talking here, it's how the individual can take ownership around what's happening. I think the other piece is we can live in these cultures that can really promote the hustle. Mm -hmm. And as the high performers do really well and have these big containers, and instead of just the organization really being um, appreciative of all they do, it's like, oh, well, let's, if you have that container, container, let's put more and more and more in the container. Mm -hmm. And so from an organizational perspective, and I like even at the beginning when you were talking about well-being and started to shift the way they were looking at well-being, what can the organization be doing differently to really support the humans? I mean, one is frankly asking the question like of all managers, when they're having conversations with their people to be asking the question, like, how can I best support you right now? Like, how can I best support you right now? And what that look like? Like, because for different people, support looks different. You know, some people are gosh, if I had, like, I needed a support person. I needed like, I needed somebody part-time that could help me because I was just so wiped. And that was one of the first things I asked for when I got diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus that I got diagnosed with. And when I was told that, hey, left unchecked, this can lead to like neurological damage and lymphomas. And when someone drops words like that to you, you're like, oh, okay, this is like, this is not really any longer like a, let me sit on the fence and think about it. <laughs> this is like, oh, I am making changes and not apologizing for it. And so I remember reaching out to my boss, who was the CFO, and I set a boundary and I said, because I was so exhausted, I'd sleep 11, 12 hours a night and not feel rested for months. And I needed my sleep. That was one of the things I needed more than anything. And I reached out and I said, look, um, I can't have any meetings that start before 10 a.m. Like, that was not a question. <laughs> that was making a statement. I, my schedule needs to change. I need to back off. I can't. I was doing cooking demonstrations and workshops and trainings and all sorts of um, different things from a speaking perspective. And I was like, I can't have any more than two of these a week. I can't like and do these other things. I just can't. Like, and they were really gracious. And I had been there 10 years, so I'd sort of like put in my time, and they knew that I was, you know, had really made significant contributions at that point, but I had to ask for what I needed. And I think a lot of the times people are afraid if they do that. I was slightly afraid as I'm pressing send to be like, here's how it's going to be. <laughs> but at that point, I was like, once you lose your health, you lose everything. I mean, you lose your health. You, like we're experiencing that in the midst of the pandemic. You lose your health. Everything else is nothing else matters if you don't have your health. And I think we forget that we think I thought it was superhuman, too. I'm a health coach. I was a director of well-being and I completely burned out. There's the irony. So if, if somebody who has the knowledge and insight that I have can still get to that point, my goodness, most people have don't know 10% of what I've learned and know about how to take care of the body and the mind. And I still was sick as a dog. So I think being willing to set boundaries, even if it's a little scary, being willing to ask yourself like, hey, if I'm saying yes to this, what am I saying no to? Because if you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So are you saying no to your kid's basketball game? Or are you saying no to an extra two hours of sleep? Are you saying no to your vacation? Are you saying, if you say yes, I just need to spend 30 minutes a day checking my email while we're on our trip. Then you're saying no to being present with your family. Like, and I, I, I don't really apologize about that. Like, I know so, like some people like, you don't understand my position's different. I get it. I run my own business and like, I'm it. You know what I mean? And I took 16 days of vacation this summer and I, and I didn't check my email one time. 
and I have an assistant, right? Part of it is like you entrust, you have to be able to delegate and entrust things to people that you've hired. And to prepare for when you're going to do something like that so you can fully be present with the people you care about. And my husband, and like, it was our 10th wedding anniversary. You know what I mean? I'm like, is there anything more important in this moment than this, truly? Like, we, for, we lose sight of what really matters because we get distracted by what we think matters more. And I was like, I missed Valentine's Day five years ago. I'm not going to not be present for my 10th wedding anniversary because of work. It's just, you know, you just learn to reprioritize and you have those moments in your life. So I don't know if any that's helpful, but just some insights about ways to maybe think about this a little differently and prioritizing and setting boundaries for yourself to protect yourself from yourself <laughs> and maybe asking other people for boundaries to help them protect you from yourself. Because when we're high achievers, that's often what it is. We need to be protected from ourselves more than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And to remember, as you just said there, you are in choice, right? It can feel very easy to give your power away. Well, I have no choice. This is just the way it has to be. No, no, it's not the way it has to be. And sometimes that means having courageous conversations and speaking up. And it reminds me as you, as you were sharing your story, very similar where, um, I have a senior executive that she's really struggling to ask for the executive assistant and she knows, she knows it's what she needs, but it's being aware of those limiting beliefs in her story that that somehow being entitled that to ask for that kind of support is meaning that she's somehow not superwoman and she can't handle it all. Meanwhile, if you could see how energized and happy she gets, as we even talk about pulling some of that stuff off of her plate, that's not in her zone of genius that she doesn't do as efficiently because it's not what she's good at. And, and also the story she's creating, it's not accurate. Like somebody else would love that EA, that it is their zone of genius. They do that naturally. You're preventing someone to be able to do the work that they love to do. Right. So it's so interesting when you break it down and see those stories. And, and then even I, I, I find sometimes doing the exercise. Okay. So what if you ask and they say, no, like what's the worst that can happen? It might still get you to a new iteration, right. Through making that ask, they might say, okay, I hear this, but have you considered this? And now you're still on this different pathway of finding these other ways of doing things that would have never happened if you didn't have the courage to have that initial conversation. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, I think part of it, I think part of it is that we just have this need to feel needed. You know, we all want to feel needed. And so when you're busy at work and you have high demands on you and you're always, you always got something going on and always somebody needs something from, it's like every, all the, all of your corporate children are tugging at your, you know, your pant leg. There's something that the ego like we loves about feeling needed that much. And I think we forget we're also needed outside of work and those roles are not any less important. You know, I, I absolutely diminished my role of, of wife and friend and sister and daughter and aunt. I, I, those were all second, third, fourth tier below, you know, director of well-being and speaker and whatever else and blogger and whatever else I wanted to be seen as more than what I was. And I, you know, sometimes we don't realize that I remember I was sick as a dog and I just posted on LinkedIn about this today, actually. So it's super relevant, but my niece turned and her second birthday is three days after Valentine's day. And so five years ago, I was not able to go to her party because I was contagious with mono and my husband was sending me pictures from the party. And I was laying on the couch looking at them and I was like, what are you doing? Like this, like, this is not, it's not how you want to live your life, Rachel. And so fast forward five years, we just had her 
T T and Tierra's party on Saturday, and we all went to a tea room, and we all she was like, I want you to wear a fan dress, so I squeezed myself into a bridesmaid's dress from five years ago, and we all she brought you know tiaras for all of us, and we sat around a table and had tea together, and um, it was wonderful, you know, and it's like there's nothing that could have been more important that day than being present for her, you know, and, and I think we take for granted the people that are always there because we think they're always going to be there. Mm. And, mm. or we think we're always going to be there. And like, when you have these moments that happen that remind you of your mortality of your limited, you know, existence, like you just make different decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, is it really worth it? It's like asking yourself, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Yeah. You know, what gets compromised? What gets sacrificed if I do this? Is it really worth it? And be honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you look back at it, you're not going to think to yourself, I should have been working hard and not harder and not going to the party with my niece. That's not going to be, <laughs> that's not going to be the, the story that's there. And, and so wait, what do you find, Rachel, when you think about the different ways you're working with organizations and leaders? And I know you've started to talk a lot about this right now. What else would you like to see more of or less of in organizations? I mean, geez, I'd like to see organizations recognize that. I mean, I saw this all the time because I worked in the wellness industry. I'm still have a toe in it, you know, because of the nature of what I do. It's forever. It's my roots. You know, I've been in the space for 16 years. Yeah. Um, you know, I've gotten to influence the industry. Like, to, that's really cool to be in that position of being able to influence an industry. But like, I think that people, organizations focus way too much on surface level things and don't get to the root of it. So for instance, it's like, oh, well, we gave everybody, everybody a subscription to Headspace and we gave them an EAP. So we're taking care of their mental health. No, you're not. Not that those things don't matter. Fine. But like they are so inadequate to address what most people are dealing with. So like when I'm doing work with managers and leaders, so much of it is around helping them to be better humans. Because frankly, most of them get to where they are. We know this because they're technically good at what they do and they don't have any skills or they don't they don't have built up skills around how to be compassionate or how to be caring or how to demonstrate some degree of curiosity or have a consciousness of their own brain and how it's affected and, and whether what causes them to be reactive and what causes them to come from a place of being more intentional and responsive. Most human beings, much less leaders, have any insight about how any of that works. And I think it's, I think organizations do a great disservice when they don't prioritize training their leaders around those areas because so much of the mental health challenges that people are having at work, I think are being, I mean, they're being driven by a lot of things. They're being driven by a lot of things, but one of the things they're being driven by is ineffective or frankly, in a lot of situations, toxic leaders that are not letting their people set boundaries, that are overstepping things, that are interrupting people on their vacations, that are, you know, emailing people at eight o'clock on a Saturday night and expecting a response in 10 minutes. Like we can, no, like <laughs> this cannot be the way that we do things, you know? So I think part of it for leaders to take the time to get really curious with their people of, hey, what are we doing as an organization that's working to support you? Like, you don't have to figure this all out at the top. I mean, what are what asking your people, hey, what are we doing as a company that's really working in the way of supporting you? And what could we be doing better? What could we do? Like what if you could wave a magic wand and change one, two, three things within this organization, like what would you change? 
what would you change first? What would be the first thing? If you want to change one thing, what would one thing that you would change about the way that we communicate, about the way that we're structured, about um, the way that workflow happens? Like, pick any one of those variables and, like, ask your own people to weigh in because they're the ones doing the work and they're the ones that are affected by it. And I don't think companies, they don't do that enough. They don't ask their own people for insight. Those are the people that have the most to offer more than a consultant does. Not that we don't want work, but like your own people have a lot of insight that you have not even touched. And so I think just being willing to have those honest conversations, being willing to, as part of performance review process, asking people what additional support or training do you need to be able to do your job more effectively? Right? Like what staffing or support would, would, if you could wave a magic wand, would you like that would free you up to do more of the things that you do well? How can I support you to make sure that you are giving yourself like a bona fide vacation and really taking time off? Like, how can I better support you? How can I communicate with you in a way that you best receive? Like, it's really all rooted in and curiosity is what so much of it is. And I just think people are so go, 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 go in the moment that they just don't think, I don't think much of it's malicious. I really don't. I think you have a bunch of traumatized adults that had their traumas as kids that never got dealt with that all need therapy, <laughs> like that are bringing their dysfunction into the workplace and it's causing them to act out with each other. It's just like the workplace is just a bunch of five-year-olds playing this, like trying to figure out how to play in a sandbox together and they don't really know how to do it, you know? And it's like, how, how can we guide them to do that more effectively? And it starts with getting curious and genuinely curious and listening. Yeah, I agree completely. It's around asking those questions. And, and as you were saying, that was reminding me for when you were talking about you as an individual asking the people you love and then listening and not getting defensive. I think it's the same. It's the same advice for the organization. Don't ask because I've heard this. Well, they said this. That's not true. That's not I think you're missing the point. That person is sharing their experience and whether you feel like they should feel the way they feel or not is not the part of this. So it's, it's asking from a place of curiosity, being open and then doing something with the information that you're getting back. Um, I was laughing so hard inside as you were talking about all of this dysfunction, because it's true, right? It's, it, and the opportunity here is the organization can be part of this healing, right? So if you now have a leader who is supporting you in creating space. And I know you and I also believe strongly around the permission to feel and creating space for emotions because we're humans, not robots. And so as we have that experience to have that full range and people who are supportive and asking questions and caring, you now get to work through and have the healing. And I've heard some people talk about this, like organizations and workplaces can be that place where we can raise that consciousness and we can have that healing happening and it's, it's a choice. And, and it's, um, I get so excited when I think about even instead of talking about this great resignation, instead calling it the great awakening. And that's what it can be both for the organizational level and the individual level, this can be an awakening. And let's also recognize that it's a process, right? We're all a work in progress, but at least taking the steps in that direction, um, can have an amazing outcome. Yeah. There's a book based on what you're saying that um, I, it's not for the faint of heart. It's like, if you're going to do it, you got to be committed to it. But there's a book by uh, uh, Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy out of Harvard, Immunity to Change. 
And this book is like, if you're willing to do the work, this book can be transformational. I had a coach reach out to me, not knowing I was going through burnout five years ago. And she reached out to me and she was like getting trained in that certified and just need some guinea pigs. Want to be a guinea pig? And I was like, well, shoot. I mean, whatever the heck I'm doing isn't working. So sure. Let me get be a guinea pig. Yeah. And walking through that process of really understanding, you know, what are the fears that we have and how does that drive our behavior and how do we really want it to be? And what are the invisible commitments we're making to ourselves? And what is the big assumption that underlies all of that? And how does that affect how we show up? And, and that was a really catalytic part of my healing journey of going through that painful Oh, honest. Like we have to be, we have to be willing to be so honest about ourselves in a way that makes us like just painfully uncomfortable. But man, I, I can't think of any transformational, truly transformational experience I've had as an individual, as a leader, with without being willing to like be in some degree of discomfort and pain as I look at myself in the most honest way that I can it's hard. It is, it is not for the faint of heart. It is for the courageous who are willing to do this work, but man, it helps your whole life. It does a ripple effect in your whole life in your health in your relationships at home and in your work when you're willing to dive deep and stuff like this. So that would be a book I'd recommend listeners check out is immunity to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll have that in the show notes and I've heard of it. I haven't read it yet. Uh, it was reminding me too, as you were saying that to the messiness and the, the uh, pain and that we're also designed to be part of that pain. Cause it's what happens on the other side. And I think of Brene, when she talks about Brene Brown um, breakdown, instead of a breakdown, it was a breakthrough, right? And those breakthroughs happen in those breakdown moments when you're taking off these layers of protection that were created that are no longer serving you. And and I think that brings me where I'd like to go for our next question around creative expression. I, I love what you've been talking about there and you've been sharing some great posts um, and challenging people to do that one thing where they can have the creative expression. I know for you, it was finding your voice more through writing and through through singing and incorporating that even in your keynotes. So to, in order to encourage our listeners to get a little bit more in touch with that part of themselves around creative expression. Cause I truly believe we're all creative and we're all hungering to be able to share in the world in that way. Um, how would you invite them in to have a little bit more creative expression in their, I would say not just their personal life, but within their, their business life as well. I think part of it is some people just need to like, uh, reframe their hangups around the word creative, because I think when we think of the word creative, we think of like an artist, right? Like, oh, somebody who is naturally skilled at painting or sculpting or drawing or whatever, right? Like we have this idea of what an artist is and what is somebody who is creative? And it's like, somebody who is creative is just creating something. <laughs> You could be creating an idea. You could be creating a combination of words. You could be creating a form of movement. You could, I mean, it's like so expansive what our understanding of creative can be. So I think that's why I often like talk about in terms of like expression, like people I think are more familiar and comfortable with like what it is to express something as opposed to create something, but expression is just a form of creation. So I would say really think through what is something what did you like to do? What did you like to build? What did you like to, um, how did you like to express yourself, even if it was to nobody else but yourself when you were little? Because I think there's, I mean, there's these things that are in us. 
like when we're a little, we're our least judgment, we're our least judgmental and, and, and least typically self-conscious. And so that's when like our most natural like selves come out. And so for me, you know, the thing I always loved, I did like to draw, but I really love to write. I mean, I have a story in my basement that says it's called the dare by Rachel Bryant, my maiden name, Rachel Bryant, age nine. I felt the need to write my age on the top of this paper. <laughs> Like I wrote poems, you know, I loved, I loved writing. I loved, I loved, I loved, um, you know, manipulating words to express something. I've always loved doing that. And so it's like, we look back at these things in our past or the indicators in your past, even ask people that you're friends with or a sibling or a parent, if they're still around, like, what did I like to do to express myself? You know? And I think back, I loved singing, but again, not in front of other people for an audience of one. Um, I loved, you know, writing and I, I do both those things now, you know, I mean, it, it took a time. I mean, a semester abroad in Spain was very catalytic for me to get a bit more express, such expressive culture, vibrant, alive culture. I came back from that. I was changed. I was a different person. And that's when I started trying out for solos for gospel choir and then kind of progressively built on singing. And now 17 years later, I'm taking voice lessons yeah. for the, for the first time since my senior year of high school, um, which has been really fun. And, uh, I'm 20 years later, actually. Uh, and, you know, now I'm integrating that into the work that I, that I do, which is super joyful for me. I mean, it's so fun. My husband and I connected through music as well. So we enjoy singing. So, and playing instruments. I don't, I, my instruments, my voice, I don't play anything else, but he plays a bunch of stuff. So I'd say like, think back, like what was something that brought you joy when you were, when you were younger and like take, set a timer for five or 10 minutes and just write about it. What do you remember about that? What do you remember about, what was it about that that you enjoyed? And what is, what is a small version of that? What is a five or 10 minute version of that look like now as an adult that you could somehow integrate um, into what you do at work or out, outside of that? Um, it doesn't have to be, we can't always take our talents in like I didn't do singing at all at my corporate job of 13 years. I didn't start doing that until I left, you know? So, but I still enjoyed singing like at church or another way. I still had other forms of expression for that outlets for that expression, even if it wasn't in my job. And then eventually I found a way to integrate it, you know? So I think just being patient with yourself and being curious and ex being willing to explore. And um, I don't know, that's what I would say. Yeah. Some great insight. I'm sure people are going to be doing that exercise this week that are listening. Um, so Rachel, as we wrap up today's episode, I always like to give you an opportunity to share whatever is on your mind as a final thought. You know, I think so much of leadership, and I know that you align with this too, starts with self-leadership. And that doesn't mean that you have to do the work by yourself. I think so often, right, as leaders, there's this, well, I, gotta, I have to figure this out. Yeah. You can figure this out in community, you know, like how can you, if you're a leader struggling with any of this stuff that we're talking about, so are other leaders that you work with. <laughs> are you willing to take initiative and to be courageous and to reach out to at least maybe even one of their colleague and be like, Hey, I'm struggling. Is there something I'm struggling with? Do you ever struggle with this? Like start to break down the walls that we have built up that we have to have this all figured out or we're somehow inadequate. It's a bunch of nonsense. It is a bunch of nonsense. Like, <laughs> and, and it's just a story that we're telling ourselves. And so how can we even take that one, one step to reach out to one person that we feel somewhat safe with at work? Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Would you, would you want to like buddy up and just 
share insights or maybe explore this a bit more about how we could get better at this. And then maybe you bring another person into your conversation. And then maybe you bring another person. I think that, and then if you need to bring somebody like Kristen or I in to help facilitate any of that, like we love doing that. But at the same time, like if you're willing to be honest and you're willing to explore, there's so many resources out there. Even like doing, like taking your leaders through immunity to change as a book club, like, or permission to feel by Mark Brackett or like, or dare to lead Brene Brown. Like you can choose to do something like that. You know, it requires time and it requires um, a bit of energy, but, but the connections that you can form and the insight that you can gain as a result of being willing to share your experience with others and allow them to share their experience with you. I think that's a really powerful place that we can humbly start to do this work by not just doing it ourselves, by being in community. Mm, such wise words. Where can people learn more about you, Rachel? Um, you can find me on my website, which is unmutedlife.com. I'm also on LinkedIn a lot. I have a bi-weekly LinkedIn newsletter um, called Unmute Yourself. Then I have a bi-weekly LinkedIn live show called Unmute Yourself um, every other Monday. Uh, and then also if you hang out on Instagram, I'm on Instagram at Unmuted Life as well. So nice. Yeah. Nice. And we'll have all of that in the show notes as well. Rachel, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thanks, Kristen. This is a good, good, good conversation. I think it'll, I think it'll be a, hopefully an awakening, right. For the folks that, that, that are able to come and, and join and listen. Absolutely. And for everybody, wherever you are in the world, we're saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.